Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. I hear the groans. I hear the groans. That's not good, y'all. We got one more night. Come on now. I can't hear groans yet. Come on. Come on. That was that was an amazing choir of oh, <laughs> as we were all sitting down. That was amazing. It was amazing. That you know what that, you know what that means? That just means that as a, as a church and as a camp, y'all don't mess around. And you guys are like, hey, we only may be here for like four days, but when, we are, when we're here, oh, we're going to break stuff. Um, that's, that's what I've learned about your church. So yeah, you guys are amazing, and I love you so, so, so much. You guys don't do anything halfway, and that's what makes you beautiful. If you got your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn them, I'm assuming you know where by this point. We're going to go back to First Peter. First Peter. But guess what, y'all? We made it to chapter two. We're going to sit in chapter two tonight. Woo! Come on now. Chapter 2, and we're going we're gonna to kind of go through 12 verses tonight, and we are going to go through some things we've already talked over, and we're really, what my, my goal for tonight, my prayer for tonight is that we're going to hopefully set ourselves up well to go home tomorrow, and we're going to set ourselves up well so that as we go back home tomorrow, as we go back to the norm, as we go back to what we've always known, that we don't go back the same way. We don't fall back into the former ways. And maybe for some of us it was the former ways of ignorance. We just didn't know. Right? And that's what we were touched on that night one, that we are truly, we are exiles. We are a people who don't belong in the culture and the world in which we live. We don't, we don't belong. And that's okay. We feel the tension for a reason. In fact, I had a professor in Bible college that said it this way. I want to encourage you with this tonight. That if you go back home tomorrow and you already begin to feel that tension, you begin to feel this tug and pull when you want to step into things that maybe you've always stepped into. And you're like, why can't I enjoy this? Why can't I just sit here and like just enjoy what I'm doing? It's because the Holy Spirit is prompting you. That means that God is living and active inside of you and he's saying, look, I've got a better way. You need to put this to death. You need to put this habit to death. You need to spend your time differently. You need to wake up differently. You need to go to bed differently. That's the Holy Spirit prompting that tension is a good thing. Embrace it. Live with it. Enjoy it. Because it means that God is working and doing what he needs to do in your life. And so with that, Right, we talked about this last night. Well, we're now, now because we understand this, we're exiles and we understand there's going to be tension, but we also know that hard times are going to come. And so what do we do? We need to train. We need to prepare. We need to be ready for when those hard times come because they will come. You need to be prepared for them to come. So we need to do things differently. We're called to live differently. And one of the most beautiful examples I can ever think of how we as Christians are called to live differently is that of the church. Is that of community. How many of you have ever read C.S. Lewis? Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You guys don't know what that, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you know this about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was an atheist for much of his life. And he, in fact, um, came to know Christ through another 
very, very intelligent writer by a man named J.R.R. Tolkien. So the guy who lo- like wrote Lord of the Rings brought the man that wrote Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe to Jesus. Like, amazing. Amazing. It's amazing what relationship will do and continual conversation will do. It will break down even the most stubborn of us. Because <laughs> C.S. Lewis knew a lot. But he didn't know how much God loved him. And so C.S. Lewis wrote many, many books. Yes, he wrote Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but he also wrote a lot of other um, very engaging books like Mere Christianity. If you've not read Mere Christianity, I would highly recommend it. It will wreck you. It will mess you up. (laughs) Another one that messed me up was a book called The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, if you haven't read it, C.S. Lewis takes a really interesting look and an illustration on what hell is going to be like for those who are on maybe the other side of the line. Because there's a reality we have to come to grips with. There's a reality that those that walk in the way of Jesus, when we ask that question, what, whose side are you on? Where does your allegiance lie? That's not just some question we're throwing out there because it sounds good. It's not one that we sat around going, okay, how do we ask this engaging question and get them answered? No, no. This is a question that will change your life. How you answer that question, where does your allegiance lie or who do you belong to? How you answer that question will dictate every decision that you make in your life. How you answer that question will dictate the decisions you make from now until you see Jesus face to face. So again, I ask you that question. Where does your allegiance lie? To whom do you belong? Because see what C.S. Lewis begins to kind of pull back on a little bit through study of scripture and other Jewish literature. He actually begins to pull at this illusion and this illustration of that hell is maybe not what we think it is in our mind with a little devil running around with a pitchfork and fire coming out or whatever it is. No, no. In fact, actually he talks about it in complete and utter isolation. That actually it's the, I mean, the, the presence of God has been completely removed there's no, there's no good anymore. And there's no good and we're so busy building our own kingdoms that we run away from each other. There's no relationship. So you are literally in utter nothing, with nothing, with no one, and you are completely and utterly alone. And there's no satisfying that. It is an eerie picture of what it looks like with life without God. I wonder how many of you tonight... You're nervous to go home. You're nervous to go home, go back to the norm. Because you're like, Kenneth, I, I feel alone all the time right now. I mean, I've got people around me, but like, I, I'm not real with them. I don't, I don't know how to be vulnerable. I don't know how to share stuff. I'm, 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 so, I'm so lost, I'm so alone. And so what I do is I run to social media. I run to talents. I run to or I create something that's really not even really me. I just put on a face that someone maybe out there will accept me for this person I present. I wonder how many of you are feeling lonely, nervous to go back home. Because what I've even begun to say, and, 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 I've, and I still got to do some research on this because this is a kind of a bold statement, but I'm going to share it with you tonight. I'm wondering that if our, in our culture today, with how social media has swept over our culture, that it's something we're so locked into. You ever wonder that maybe camp is so amazing because you're not sucked into social media? I don't know. This is just throwing this out here. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Right? I don't know. 
maybe, it's, maybe you're feeling so close and connected to God because you're not so close and connected to your phone. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. But, but, I don't understand how this is possible. Sociologists and, psycho- and psychologists are saying that we are the most connected we have ever been in human history. With the invention of social media and phones and technology, we are the most connected. We can find anything about anything at any time, always, at a moment's notice. As quick as our Wi-Fi connection. Right, like that we have this access to information and people so quickly. We are the most connected people in all of human history. We are also the loneliest generation in human history. We are the most depressed generation in human history. I don't understand how that's possible. Is it possible because social media is actually not connecting us in the way that our soul needs? And is it possible that maybe the more that we dive into digital synthetic relationships, the more that we dive into those, we're actually experiencing a microcosm of hell? We're experiencing a microcosm of what C.S. Lewis would illustrate as hell? Because see, we continue to push, we continue to say, I want to just, I just want more likes, I just want more of this, I want to keep building my own kingdom, it's all about me, I just want to live really in my own little bubble, don't let anyone talk to me, don't learn anything about me, I just want to present what I want to present and just give me the like. I'm just building my own kingdom here, leave me alone. The more that we do that, it actually just continues to leave us more and more and more empty and alone. Is it possible that in an age with so much connection, that our soul could be the emptiest it's ever been. Is it possible? So again, maybe some of you are feeling nervous to go home because you're nervous of being alone. But I have good news for you. I have good news for you. There's a place where you can belong. There's a place where you can belong. There's a place where you can actually experience true relationship. Where human to human, face to face conversation, go figure, right? That this can take place and it can actually feed our soul on a human level, on a spiritual level, on a godly level. That there's a place that we can come together as individuals and yet we come together collectively, not always seeing eye to eye, but we say, look, we agree about one thing. And that one thing is Jesus Christ. We agree about Jesus. That place is called the church. For many of you, that place is called Northwest Gospel Church. For many of you, that place is called Citizens. I love that your youth group name is Citizens. It's a constant reminder of where you actually belong because you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. That is where you belong. So tonight we're gonna touch on this idea of community. I'm gonna push against maybe some of you who are so ready to go home because you're like, I'm so ready to post. I'm so ready to go back home and continue just to like show everyone what I've been up to because they all care so much. I've been listening this weekend. Been listening. 
that some of you are still so quick to post and so quick and excited to do certain things, but there's a barrier. There's a line where you say, I'm only going to share right up to about here. And I'm not going any further than that. Why? Because you don't know how to build trust with another person. Because you've been ripped apart, chewed up, spit out. I don't know, whatever reason, right? Like, there's been trust broken enough to realize, I don't, I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. I want to put before you tonight that the church, the body of Christ, is the place where you belong. Open up First Peter. Chapter 2. Peter starts out right away with something incredibly encouraging for us as Christians that we have to understand. We have to get this. We have to get this. Because what does Peter say right away? Chapter 2, verse 1. Right, so he's talking about this is a way that his holy people, that God's holy people, his church, is supposed to live and operate. He says this, so put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. That is the way of the world. Living that way, the thing that is constantly causing us tension, that is the way of the world. That does not belong in his church. That kind of stuff does not belong in his church. So it's no wonder that we have such a hard time trusting those around us because we're afraid of malicious intent. We're afraid of being lied to and and skirted around and, and, and being deceitful. We're afraid of that. We're afraid of hypocrisy. We're so terrified of somebody presenting themselves, a leader around you saying, look, I love you so much. You're like, but I haven't shared this. They don't know what I've done. God doesn't know what I've done. They're so terrified of the hypocrisy because they go, I, I, I know I've done this, but I'm sure other people have too. They look at the church and they see a bunch of hypocrites because we're so easy to point the figure and say, look at everything that's wrong with you. We don't ever turn the mirror around and look at ourselves. That doesn't belong in God's church. Envy. And slander, putting people down so we can raise ourselves up that doesn't belong in God's church. It doesn't belong. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is a moment where I'm gonna step maybe out of Pastor Kennan, speaker guy at your camp, and just be real for a minute. It's out there. I've experienced it. It's a real thing when you trust other people. I'm gonna be honest with you. It's a real thing when you trust other people that it's a possibility that someone might take advantage. It's a real possibility that somebody may take that and and misuse it. That's a possibility. I'm with you. I'm gonna meet you right here, human to human, and say, yeah, it is possible because I know some of you are terrified of that. Terrified of that. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. The people sitting in this room, the leaders that God has placed in this church, the other students that God has placed in this church, they are here in your life at this moment in time for a reason. And God works everything for good. Everything. So even if you're terrified of someone's intent, believe in God's goodness that much more. Don't be afraid to dig in deeper into a community because you're afraid of what may happen. I would encourage you to press deeper into community 
Because when you do that, when you experience unity on that level, that is really when life begins to make the most sense and that new humanity begins to get fully realized. All this, it does not belong in God's church. So those of you that are Christians and call this place home, here's your challenge. Don't let it. Don't let it. Seniors, I'm gonna call you out. Seniors of this group, leaders of this group, if this kind of stuff is sneaking up into your youth group, you shut that down. You pull people aside. And you say, hey, we don't do that here. We, we don't talk like that here. We, 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 no, no, we don't, we don't do that here. This is how we do it. And you live by example. Seniors, that's your job. You take this year and you own this year. This is your year. We always say that. That's, this is our year. Seniors, this is your year to create this kind of a community. Don't let it be anything different. Don't let it be anything different. Continuing in verse two. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. When my wife and I first got pregnant, we, uh, we read all the books, right, as, as parents do, because you're nervous. You're like, oh my goodness, this is another human being that's living and breathing, and if I don't do this right, um, uh-oh, right? Like, this isn't good. Like, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of responsibility. So we were actually reading books to figure out how to be a parent, okay? And so we're like, hey, one thing the books consistently say is that babies need food. This is something that we, it's good to know. And babies in particular, they need milk, whether that's from the mom or whether it's from formula, it doesn't matter. But I was so pumped about Jeremiah, I wanted to give him steak. Doctors were like, no, that's not good. I'm like, come on, man. Not even a T-bone, like nothing. They're like, no, 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 milk. And here's why. Here's why. Because babies, they're, not, they're still growing, still processing. All they can handle is milk. Right? That's all they can handle. Yet that is the only thing that will nourish and sustain them. It's the only thing. You try to give a baby anything else and it will mess with their system. Milk is so important to a newborn infant, it's insane. There's so much research done on milk. It's kind of gross. Like, it's like, wow. There's, a whole, there's like books written on the like byproducts of milk. It's weird. But think about that in our spiritual life. Some of you are new Christians. Some of you are still babies in your faith. That's okay. But see, the thing that will nourish you is the spiritual milk that comes from time in prayer. We talked about these things, right? The, the training we talked about. Prayer, scripture, being in community, worship, praise, all these things. This is what we need to long for because this is what's going to sustain you. This is what's going to sustain you. So we need to long for it so that we can grow into maturity as Christ followers. And Peter closes off that little section which said, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I have another question for you. How many of you, you don't have to answer, how many of you have actually tasted and seen, or another way to say that is experienced, that the Lord is good? I mean, have you ever experienced that the Lord is good? And there may be some of you in here like, no, I haven't. Others are like, yeah, I got stories to tell, man. Again, when we were moving up to Victoria, we were two weeks before heading off to a new country 
our little boy Hudson. We didn't even have Eliana yet. We only had our two boys. Hudson was just a few months old. And here we are moving countries and we're doing this huge big change in our lives. And two weeks before we're supposed to land in Canada, we have no place to live. We have no home. We have no apartment. We got nothing. Because we can't go and just start like interviewing and do like, we had nothing. And I'm freaking out as like the provider and like supposed to be the steady rock of my family. And I'm like, I don't know where we're going to live. We might be living in our car. Thing is, we have a van. Like I'm like, I don't know. Two weeks. Two weeks before. It literally took that for me to go, God, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't know what I can do. <laughs> like, is there any way I can go up earlier? Like, I'm having this conversation. I'm like, I don't know. The next day I get a phone call. And there's a guy who goes to the church that we're moving. He doesn't know who we are. He just knows we're the new pastors that are coming aboard. He calls me and says, hey, I got your number from, uh, from the secretary of the church. And I wanted to ask you if you want our house. What? He's like, yeah, um, I, I, yesterday I got, a, I got a phone call. He works for a company called BC Hydro. It's like the electric company of all of BC. And he's like, yeah, I got, I got a phone call from my boss and they need me to be in Vancouver, BC like next week. So it's kind of like a, a quick job where like yesterday you get the phone call and I got to be out of here in a week. Do you want to live in our house? We'll rent it to you. And I'm like, what? About, about when did you get this phone call? He's like, ah, I don't know. It's like, like 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. I about dropped the phone. That was right when I began praying and saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know where to go. I don't know where my family's gonna live. God is so good. He is a provider, even when we don't see it, even in our darkest days. I don't know if you know this about God, but he's also a healer. And there might just be all kinds of things that get like, just drummed up in this room, but I can't stay silent about this. I got so many stories I can tell you about God healing my favorite, because the shorter one, is we moved up to Canada. And when you move up to Canada, it's universal health care. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, um, but one thing that the universal health care, like, it doesn't kick in for the first 90 days. So we're sitting there, and we are um, still very much Americans trying to figure out this whole Canadian system. And my oldest boy, Jeremiah, gets a 104-degree temperature. Like, glassy eyes, kid can barely move, and I'm, like, I'm going, oh, no, like what is happening to my little boy, right? He's in his room and we are like, we we're throwing him in cold baths. We're like, we went to the store and tried to get as much like fever reducers we possibly could and we're pumping that into him. Nothing's even touching it. The fever's in fact climbing. We're going like, we're gonna have to take this kid to the hospital. He's gonna burn up. But we're like, if we take him to the hospital, we don't know how big this bill's gonna be. Like this could be a mat, like we don't have any money. We just moved countries. God, what are we gonna do? And I remember just taking that step back and just going, you know, no, 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 hold on, hold on. God knows exactly what he's doing. And then on, the, on one hand, I'm going, I, God knows what he's doing. On the other hand, I am, my heart is still like going a thousand beats a minute, going, my child's gonna die. <laughs> and so I, I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, okay, I got a half hour before I can give this kid some more Motrin. Like, I'm like, I gotta get his fever down. I'm doing everything I possibly can. I'm like, I gotta get his fever down. So I go into his room and I feel his forehead. He's still like, he's 104.3. I, I remember the temperature like it was yesterday. It was 104.3. This kid was hot. And I go in and I just put my head in his forehead and I'm just like, God, I need you to take away my son's fever in the name of Jesus, please. Take it away. That was it. That was it. 
I walked away and I just go, oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm pacing, like looking at the clock going, okay, 19 minutes, um, okay, 18 minutes. Like I'm counting down until I can give this kid more like fever reducer. And it's like 15 minutes left. Right, and I'm like, I can't take it anymore. I'm like, honey, I just give me, just give me the stuff. I don't care if I take it early; it doesn't matter. It's not even touching it. So I run in to go and give him more Motrin, and I go and I grab his like his chest to kind of roll him over because he's just asleep in his bed. And I go to grab him, and I'm touching him here, and I'm touching his neck and his cheek, and I'm like, give me the thermometer. And I go over and I put the thermometer in his ear, ninety-eight point three. Not ten minutes later. Not 10 minutes later. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm brought to tears. And I'm just going, oh, no, this isn't right. I, I don't believe it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, this thing's broken. So I'm like, checking my own ear. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm good. It's still, yep, 98.3. Flip them over, 98.6. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, I could be here for three plus hours just sharing story after story after story with you that I have tasted and seen that God is good. My question for you is have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Do you long for the good spiritual milk that will sustain you into adulthood as a Christian? We need to think through these things. He is faithful always. And even when it doesn't make sense, even in the midst of suffering, it doesn't change who he is. God is always who he is and it does not change regardless of our circumstance. And so Peter continues, verse four. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, this is talking about Jesus, okay? This living stone, remember the living stone, stone, this is Jesus, okay? As you come to him, a living stone who was rejected by man, right? He was killed, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. You yourselves, this is so crucial, okay, right? We just made the connection. Jesus is this living stone, Right? We just made this connection. He says, but you yourselves are like living stones. Hold up. You catch that, what Peter's saying there? He's saying we're like Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, in coming to, we are like Jesus. We're like the living stone. What? What is that? What? <laughs> Like, Jesus was amazing. I'm not amazing. What is happening? Peter's saying, no, because of the Holy Spirit, you are like Jesus. That's how God is able to interact with you. He sees his son now that he's taken the punishment for what you have done. Past, present, future. He sees you as his son. He sees you as the living stone. You are like the living stone, but for what purpose? You are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is crazy. This is crazy. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made like Jesus. We are clothed in the person of Jesus. We are made new because of his sacrifice. And because of that, the Holy Spirit works through us and now what? We are being built together. We're being built together. Why? Not because we're just like, hey, we get along really well, and hey, you like football, I like football, that's cool. Hey, you like video games, I like video games, let's hang out. No, no, this is something so more, so much more significant. 
This is on a spiritual soul level. You are being built together into a spiritual house. Now, if any of you know your Bibles, and you've read the Old Testament, this is what I love about the Bible, you guys. You guys need to begin to read your Bibles, not because it's a boring old book, but because this book will change your life. It is the greatest book that has ever been written or ever will be written. This book messes with my mind more often than not. Because if you know your Bibles, what Peter is saying here should draw our minds back. There's so many of these. What we, what I've, um, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he always says these hyperlinks. I love that word, these hyperlinks, where it's like you read something and your mind just kind of goes back. Your mind should be going back to the Old Testament. That after Israel is out of Egypt... Right, they, as they were kind of traveling through the wilderness and all these different things, they had this tent that they would set up. Anybody know what it was called? Tabernacle. Oh, you guys are so smart. Sam, you're doing a great job, brother. Yeah, go, whoo, come on now. Like, tabernacle. Right, this is where the presence of God would be housed. Because God, even though there was separation because of sin, he's like, I still want to be with my people. That should be an encouragement to us. God is not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you. He already claimed you as his own. We talked about that last night. He, de- he declared, they're mine. These people are mine. Nothing will stand in the way. So our minds should be brought back to say, wow, okay, God wants to dwell with us. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. It was the tabernacle so that his presence could be there and, and it was holy. It was different. He had to have all these, these, these things set up into place and only certain people could come in at certain times. It was, it was crazy. And now Peter's saying, but wait, now we're our spiritual house? What? Now we're the spiritual house? Do you guys understand that if you are walking the ways of Jesus, that if you are saying, yes, Jesus, you are king of my life with the Holy Spirit residing inside of you, you now house the very presence of God in who you are. You are a walking, breathing temple. You are a walking, breathing tabernacle. You are a walking, breathing example of God. This is crazy, the amount of responsibility, that should make us go, hold, hold up, you know. <laughs> no wonder Peter talks about training. No wonder he talks about pr- preparing. That's a lot. That's a lot to handle. You are a temple set by God to be an example. Do you ever think of it this way? You ever think of it this way? The tabernacle that was set up in the Old Testament, that was holy ground. That was holy kingdom ground. So let's draw that hyperlink back again now. Every step that you take, if you ever thought of this, realizing your identity in Christ, that you house the Holy Spirit, every step that I take, you are walking on holy ground. You're walking on holy ground. You know what this place, you know what this space is on its own? Wood, like paint, light fixtures. You know what it is as soon as we step in here together under the name of Jesus? Holy ground. Every time that we gather together as the church, it becomes a sanctuary of holy ground. This is crazy. 
This is why community is so important because when we come together, the light burns brighter because there are more of us to spread the kingdom ground. And everywhere you walk is kingdom ground. Everywhere we gather is kingdom ground. And where kingdom ground is, God resides. Where two or more are gathered, God is present. This is insane. This is crazy. This is why community is so important. So important. Now Peter warns us, starting in verse 6. He warns us that the gospel is offensive. Here's what he has to say. First stands in scripture, behold, right, this is a, this is a passage from Isaiah um, 8, Isaiah 28, and Psalm 118, he's kind of meshing all these things together. Okay, but he says, behold, this is a prophecy. I am laying in Zion a stone. Who's the stone? Ah, very good, you guys. And a cornerstone chosen and precious. We already talked about this. Peter is drawing from this. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What does that sound like? Sounds like the verse Tim Tebow wrote, right? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That one took a while. Sorry, yeah, I know. I got intense there for a little bit. We got to rise back up. It's the, it's the verse that Tim Tebow wrote, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Said, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Those who believe in him shall not be put to shame. Verse seven, so the honor is for you who believe. And you're like, yes, I believe. There's honor, there's no shame. I'm a precious living stone and I'm carrying the very holy ground that I walk. Amen. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Friends, we have to remember though, as we go back home, the gospel is offensive. The gospel is dangerous. The gospel is exclusive. Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It sounds pretty exclusive. <laughs> the reason that's so offensive, think of how our culture lives. Hey, you just, you live your truth. I'll live my truth. There's so many ways to God. There's so many different ways to God. You just do your thing. I'll do my thing. And we'll call it good. We'll both just meet each other up in heaven. It's all okay. It's good. Wow. Wow. You know the problem with truth is it's truth <laughs> and truth doesn't shake no matter what we believe it to be right I, I, could, I could believe with all my heart soul mind and strength that 2 plus 2 is 5 but it doesn't mean it's 5 right I, I could believe with my entire soul mind strength that if I, like I don't believe in gravity anymore Gravity does not exist. I believe it with everything in my ability to believe that when I step off the stage, I'm just going to walk gingerly over the tops of your heads and right out that door. You aren't even going to feel it because I'm not going to touch ground. Are you kidding me? I believe this. Oh, that's right. Truth. <laughs> right, that's the lie that our culture tells us all the time, isn't it? You just believe what you want to believe and you just believe it enough. It's true. The problem with that, it's not truth. 
The problem with that, it's a lie. Problem with that is that's simply them saying, hey, you just continue to build your kingdom. Whatever sounds good to you, that sounds good to you. Just remember this. Every time you're walking down the stairs. Just because you believe it doesn't make it not true. No matter how much you don't want to believe something, doesn't make it not true. Jesus said it, I'm just repeating it. He is the way, the way. Not one of many, the way. The truth. Not a truth, the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. No one. That's why it's offensive. That's why it's so hard for us to speak the truth in our culture. But again, that's why we train. That's why we go back. Because those who reject Jesus and stumble over kingdom language, 1 Peter 2, the second half of verse 8, says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That's what they're destined to do. We have to understand that we are born into a sin nature. That when we are butt up against the world and our culture, we have to understand that we are born into a sin nature. I referenced this verse before, but I'm going to share it with you. It's entirety, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul says this, the church in Ephesus, he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. He's talking to Christians here. Okay, he's talking to Christians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work, and the son's disobedience. He's talking about the enemy. Wait, we were enemies with God. Right? As we, as we learned from James, you are either a friend of the world or you're a friend of Jesus. You can't be both. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God and vice versa. That among whom you once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature, catch this, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like the rest of mankind. This is our reality without Jesus. This is our reality when we want to continue to say, no, 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 I got this. I'm going to take care of this on my own. Don't worry about it. I, I got this. I'm eventually going to figure it out. Just give me enough time. But again, I want to put before you, if it was going to work, wouldn't have it worked by now? If it, if it was going to work, wouldn't have it worked by now? Friends, you cannot deceive yourselves anymore. To run after your own kingdom is to separate yourself from community. And it's no wonder you feel alone and lost and hopeless. It's no wonder. Because <laughs> we were made for community. Because we were dead without Jesus. And what is dead stays dead. Right? I, I looked that up even in the Greek. Right? That word dead, it means dead. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you read it. It doesn't matter what language you read it in. Dead is dead. Right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's our state without 
Jesus. But after the resurrection of Jesus, this is the hope, this is the good news for those that are Christians in this room and community is our focus. We're like, okay, this is kind of like, I don't really know where to land here. Peter lands the plane. He says this in verse 9, but you, but you, Christ follower, you, Christian, you, exile, you, one that doesn't belong anywhere else in the world, you, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have to understand this as Christians, and we don't always catch this when we read this at first glance. This language was spoken over the Jewish people. This language a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. This is what was said about Israel. Like the people that God said, you are mine and I'm never letting you go. Read the Old Testament. Oh, it is so mind-numbingly frustrating because you go, hey, they made out of Egypt. Way to go. They're going to follow God now. Two chapters later, come on. He just rescued you. You're running away. Right? And then you're like, then they come back and God's like, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. And you're like, okay. Whew. I was close. They almost lost it again. <laughs> A couple chapters later. Oh, come on, Israel. Right? This is, this, is the, this is the country that God chose to represent him. They were massive screw-ups. Anybody else in the room can identify as a massive screw-up? Come on now, right? Like, you're like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> me too. Like, that's the beauty of community, right? Like, you, you read this, you read this, and you're like, oh, me too. <laughs> this, this is me. This is you. This is us. This is us. That once, once, right, before Jesus, once, we were not a people. We were dead. We were lost. We were hopeless. We were without joy. We were without peace. But now, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, friends. We were lost and now we're found. We were dead and now we're alive. That is what unifies and binds us together as God's church and his community. And it's so beautiful. We must stand together. We need to do this together. We, there's no room for lone wolves in God's kingdom. We do this together. We sharpen each other. We correct each other. We push back when we have wrong thinking, and that is good. And when we push back, it's because we love each other. It's say, look, the way you're living right now is going to destroy you. Please give me a hug and let's walk this way together. That's, that's true community. That's true community. And that's the beautiful nature of God's church. When we walk in discipleship together relational discipleship with each other i'm telling you we will change the world when we figure this out 
Because the early church did it. So many times over church history, it's been done. But it was when the church was unified together under the common name of Jesus. You can be discipled by a lot of things. You know that? Discipleship is not just a Christian word. Discipleship is who are you, who are you learning from? Who are you learning from? Right, like if you're a disciple of Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, you're going to live a pretty jacked life, right? Like because you are going to look like him. Now, granted, you're probably not going to be 6'5 and have crazy genetics, but hey, you're going to live a pretty jacked life, right? Because you're living the way that he lives. You're being discipled by him. Maybe it's friends at school that you're being discipled and you're like, man, my life looks a lot like their life. I wonder why that is. Because you're being discipled. The question of discipleship is really this. Who are you being formed into? Who are you being formed into? Formation is the question when it comes to discipleship. So it's no wonder why your parents, because again, all the eyes in the room are going to go, I know, I know. Who you hang out with is so important. Who you spend your time with is so crucial to your soul. You can roll your eyes all you want, but I guarantee you I would not be standing here today if I did not have good, solid Christian friends in my life who would slap me upside the head at times and say, bro, you are a knucklehead, stop it. Like, come on, yeah, right? Like, yeah. Like, it's, it's one of those things, friends, where I'm telling you this right now. You, you, you start pairing yourself as a community and building yourself up as a spiritual house, you will be like, wow, I don't seem to struggle with the same things I used to struggle with. Like all these things that I was like battling and wrestling with, they don't seem to be, like they don't have the same bite as they used to. They're still there, but they don't have the same bite as they used to. <sighs> That's what community does. That's what community does. That's what accountability does. Relational discipleship is again answering that question of who or what are you being formed into? And if you are a disciple of Jesus, you will begin to reflect his compassion, his goodness, his kindness, his joy, his peace. That will just become things that are so natural just to flow out of you. And friends, it is beautiful. I'm gonna have the band come on up as we wrap up this time together. Because again, we've said it before, friends. We've said it before that this does not stop here. It can't stop here. I'm here to tell you the truth. That if some of you in this room are just like, man, I love coming to camp. I love going to camp maybe two, maybe three times a year. And it's great because it's a weekend away, a week away, whatever it is. And it's awesome because I build all these cool relationships. And then when you get home, you're off doing your own thing again. And you're like, why does it seem like I can't hold on to that camp feeling? Why does it seem like I can't hold on to this closeness with Jesus when I get home? Why? I got the answer for you. It's because you moved away from community. It's because you walked away from community. And I tell you what, even in your own alone time, as you're, sp you're spending time praying and reading on your own, that's awesome. That's great. But it cannot stop just on your own, in your own bedroom, by yourself. You need to go and say, hey, check out what I was reading. Hey, I was praying for this, and look, it's happening. 
Community binds us together. It grows us stronger. We are built into a strong, powerful, spiritual house. Do not let it end here, friends. Hebrews 10, 23 says this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us, content, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and for good works. Not neglecting, catch this, not neglecting to meet together. <laughs> Go figure. Don't neglect hanging out together. Don't neglect fellowship. Don't neglect even when you're hanging out together. Okay, pause for a moment on everything I just said. I'm just going to put this in the stake right here. Can we stop hanging out like this? For all that's holy in the world, please. Like, come on. Again, it's no wonder we're alone. You're in a room full of people, but you're like this. Hey, what's up? Yeah. Bro, did you see a story on Instagram? It's crazy. What kind of relationship is that? You got a real, live, breathing human being that can respond to a question in an instant faster than Twitter, and you're ignoring them. We gotta lean into community. Friends, we have got to lean into community. Do not neglect meeting together. It's a habit. And encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day, as Sam was talking about, this day that we continually are being sanctified. This idea of being renewed. The Spirit is making us new. is saving us on the daily Right, until we meet Jesus face to face, this process is going to take place and we need each other. We need each other. Don't stop. The call of unity is for all the saints. It's for all the citizens. The call is unity. We're not going to agree on everything and that's fine. But we can agree on one name. We can agree on one name. That is the name of King Jesus. King Jesus. Here's one thing I want to do. Some of you may be thinking to yourself, but I'm not, I haven't like, I haven't made Jesus king in my life. We're not going to do like an altar call or anything like crap. I don't know, maybe we are. I don't know, Sam. I don't want to take this away here. I don't want to take this away. But I want us to seriously consider that if you're, if you're sitting in here and you're like, I don't know, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, but it would be kind of nice to have community. <laughs> it would be kind of nice to have a purpose and a drive and a passion in life. It would be nice to have some focus. It would be nice to stop like binge watching Netflix without any care in the world. Not leaving the house for three, four days straight. It'd be kind of nice. Man. If you've not made Jesus king of your life, there is an opportunity set right before you, right here, right now. The Holy Spirit is calling you. God is calling you to say, come home. Come home. Come to the place where you belong. You want to find rest? Find it in Jesus. You want to find hope? Find it in Jesus. It's the only place you're going to find it. Right? I mean, how lame is a scavenger hunt? 
When someone tells you where the prize is, I'm telling you where the prize is. Because I believe Sam has said it before. God is not like the Easter bunny. He's not, she's not hiding out and saying, look, come find me. No. He's standing right in front of you saying, come home. Come home. So I want to pray for us. We're going to sing. We're going to sing praises to our Lord and King. And during this time, I want some of you to maybe seriously consider for no other reason than for yourself, for the state of your soul. And some of you maybe who are Christians, maybe you're going to begin to feel a pull to say, look, I know the buddy that I brought, I know he's not following Jesus. Start praying for them. Start praying for them and say, God, just break through. Show them his grace. Church, God has called us to unify together as one spiritual house. I pray that he would do that tonight with this group. That when we go home to Clark County, your parents, Pastor Andrew, other members on staff, they would look at this youth group and go, I don't know what happened. (laughs) I don't know what happened. But this is one flag, one family, like they've never seen it before. Let's pray. Father God, we are humbled at your greatness and grandeur and goodness. We are humbled by how much you want to pour into us and what you want to use us for and you want to partner with us. God, it, We are humbled. But God, I know there are people in this room who don't know you. I know there are people in this room who are still on the fence. They're still trying to figure this whole thing out and they don't, maybe they need answers. Maybe they need time. I, I don't know what they need, but God, I know they need you. God, we know that true life is only found in the person of Jesus. That only true community is found in the church. And that God, that as we come together as your body, may you bless it. May you change us. May you sanctify us. May you make us a holy people running after you. That God, as we come together under your name, you would remain faithful as you always have and you always will. Jesus, there's so much that we can talk about. There's so much theology to be thought about. There's so many ways that we can approach all of this. But God, I just want to, before you, hands open wide, just say, Jesus, do what only you do. Do only what you do. We pray this in your name alone. Amen.